hold the silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 29th, 2008. For the newcomers, look into my website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find hundreds of hours of talks I've given over the years where I try to give you the shortcuts to the big picture and show you how this reality that we live in is really manufactured for us to accept and how our behavior is influenced by professional people at the top. Mass psychology is used on the masses. That's why it's mass psychology, and it works very well. It has for a long, long, long time, long before they gave it the modern names. Also look into Alan Watt Sentinel.eu, and you can find transcripts of these talks. You can print them up, and they are done in the various languages of Europe. It's quite amazing to, to have access to so much data. We call it information today when you can go across the world and watch the same things happening everywhere at the same time because we are interdependent. There's been a lot of people hard at work for well over 100 years, maybe 200 years, to make us interdependent, which means if one country falls, it all go down like dominoes mainly because we're all tied together with the banking system and the world bankers, the ones that basically lend out nothing to the countries except checks, and then we print up money, and we have to owe them back real hard assets to repay them. That's how the scam works. And it's funny that people go to university for years to study economics. They fathom this out. It's quite astonishing. But then old Nathan Rothschild himself said that those who figure out the scam will be involved in economics themselves and getting heavily rewarded by it. Therefore, they were highly unlikely to disclose it to the public or make a big deal about it. And that's how it really does work. We live in an age where we have experts telling us what to do on every, every facet of our lives, even how to dress for the, for the rain or the snow or whatever, constantly telling us what to do. And from Sudbury here in Canada, Ontario, to where I live, there are a whole bunch of road signs on the way out of Sudbury that tell you to pull over if you're tired. And being tired can cause accidents or, or speeding and wintry conditions on all these bendy roads can put you off at the bends. And it's, so you have all these different signs. And really, if you read them all, you'd be off the road anyway. It's one after another, especially the ones for the speeding fines. They keep increasing per kilometer the speed that you do. You can't read them all. But someone pointed out to me that there are people who need these signs to tell them what to do. If you're tired, pull over. Speed kills because they don't think very much. And I thought about, well, why is that? 
Because we've been raised, like Bertrand Russell said, not to think for ourselves, not to reason for ourselves. And Brzezinski said that, the people will be unable to reason for themselves. They will expect the media to do it for them. It's raining out, put on your raincoat. And that kind of stuff. That's how dumbed down we truly are. And what's always been known at the top, that once you create a society that truly is dumbed down, and doesn't reason for itself. You can really tell them anything and they'll believe it. And that's why we have experts on global warming today. And I'll be back with more about this after the following break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just before the break, I was talking about how the more we have been trained by experts to believe what to tell us, the easier it is to tell us anything at all and have us believe it. That's the trick of it all. It's, it ties in, everything ties in together with the masters rule the world, who have a vision for the world. And I've gone through many uh, articles in the past and read for some of the books of the eugenicists, the top eugenicists from the, even the 1800s, 1900s, right up to the present time, because they simply changed their titles to bioethicists and population control consultants and specialists. Same thing. And We've all been brought up with relentless television, documentaries, all pushing the same thing. But, and they always have experts on from universities. And if you were to go from one country to the next, you'd find the same types of professors in different countries all giving the same exposés or their belief systems on television to the different audiences, all on track with each other, on board and why is that? Because they're all coming together through consensus building. The sciences and the universities have been at this for a very, very long time. And you go higher up the ladder even from that, and you find that the big foundations, the really big ones, fund hundreds of universities. You give them grants every year. And the board members, the CEOs and board members, of these faculties are very happy to have these grants given to them but they also know of what these main contributors want because the foundations that give them the grants always have a head man like Rockefeller himself who promulgates the whole idea of depopulation and reducing it drastically sustainability and so on therefore these things are taught in their courses in their universities it's not hard for a small clique of people belonging to the same association and loaded with incredible wealth, foundations that keep raking in the money, self-perpetuating through their investments and giving out their charitable philanthropic causes, dishing it out left, right and centre, only with conditions attached, of course, that you push what the main top guy believes in. And that's how easy it is to have all of academia on board 
on the same agenda with you. Plus, we forget, you see, when it comes to the areas of science especially, scientists don't know very much when they come out of universities. They, they know very, very little, in fact, to be honest with you. And they want to get a job. And their jobs depend on grants being given to them. Therefore, they can come up with weird and wacky ideas. And if it's along a certain agenda, they're generally guaranteed a grant. And if they can keep that grant going through, well, next year we can come up with a new, a, a new, more information for you. I'll give you an example of this. It's the, it's the Heart and Stroke Foundation. At the end of the year, they always give you a little commentary on, on what they've found after all this grant money. And one year, it was a little wine. It was good for you, a little red wine. It was good for your blood vessels in your heart. And the following year, it, it, it contradicted itself and, and said it could be detrimental to you. And I've watched this farce go on year after year. Millions of dollars to come up with this. You see? As long as they're going to keep, keep looking into it further, the grant money comes up with them. But really, you see, most of these big uh, front charities have nothing to do with what they tell you that they're all about. Nothing at all. But scientists themselves are very politically correct. They smell which way the wind's going. They want a good career. And the end thing right now to, to join in the bandwagon, or it has been for a while, is uh, it was global warming. And now it's called climate change because the warming hasn't cooperated. And, and, and even, the, even scientists who, are, who have been making a, a good few years living off this are falling away because they're, they're afraid their reputations are going to go down the tubes with the whole theory or con game. But that's how we're run. We're, we're run because everyone is on board on, with consensus building. And when you go through every foundation, here's a surprising thing of the foundations, and you see what's funded by whom, you have, if you have a list of politically correct terminology and points of view on, on a hundred areas of life, they'd all be exactly the same. How, how can that be? That can only happen and there's interaction between them on a very high level. They're all on board on, on all the same topics, hundreds of topics. It's rather amazing. And you can compare those topics, a lot of the, the social aspects of it is to do with what we call communism. And we know that communism was simply the right hand, the left hand of capitalism, using the dialectic to bring the two together. And again, I don't harp on about it, but the Norman Dodd came up with that with the Rees Commission and you can hear uh, Senator Dodd on YouTube it's up there talking about when he went to the Ford and Carnegie and all the big foundations and he was told right to his face their job and this was in the 50s 1950s was to alter the culture so much in America and the Western world that they gradually blended with the Soviet Union the two would become one Now, how long had, been, had they been there doing that? We haven't found that out yet. Which meant, too, that the very inception of the Soviet regime, which was funded by the bankers of the West, and that's documented. There's a lot of good documentation on that, and regular articles, even, even in National Geographic at the time, as to the funding that was coming in. And... So, so men planned this, this antithesis 
capitalism. They planned it. They had visions of a future. And remember these big foundations, as Professor Carl Quigley said himself, work intergenerationally. They have long-term goals. If it takes centuries to pull off their particular parts in the agenda, they will do so because their mandate does not change with the generations. They employ new people. They're told the mandate. They work towards it. They retire. New ones are brought in. And that's how they can literally plan a future and pull it off. And at the, the rotten foundations of these foundations, you'll always find eugenics and Darwinism. Darwinism has an interesting story, apart from the, the Darwin family themselves. I've mentioned before, there's a good book. It's called In the Minds of Men, Darwin and the New World Order by Ian Taylor. It's well worth the read. He's a scientist himself. And he debunks a lot of the theories that are preached as the gospel truth about Darwinism. But what's interesting is he went through the genealogy of the Darwin family. They find out that for generations, the Darwins only intermarried with one other family. And that was the Wedgwood family. The wealthy Wedgwoods made the pottery empire. It's still very popular today. Because they believed in superior, superior uh, strains. They believed in the Platonic, the Plato idea the, of his new republic, of the republic, where they would, they should breed. If they want scientists, you breed a scientist with a scientist, a mathematician with a mathematician, and so on. Uh, Huxley himself went through the same spiel in one of his, his talks. But Darwin himself was given the honor that he got from the Royal Society, another Freemasonic and royally chartered society. With a, with a long history going way back into the times of Isaac Newton, only men at one time were allowed into it, and to join it you had to literally uh, divorce your wife and leave your family behind you. It wasn't until the early 1900s they began to let female scientists into it. So it's a secretive organization, but once again, if you're ruling the, the ideas of people across the world, you want an organization that is very secretive since they plan what will be taught at higher levels of academia. They also plan what the public will be told from higher levels of academia because perception becomes reality to the general public. We can be told anything. We will believe it if a person in authority says so. So eugenics is behind all of this. And Darwin himself, you'll find his grandfather really wrote the same treatise on evolution for him. And what Darwin added to his grandfather's story was taken from Wallace, another member of the society, who was doing all the, the field work. And it was the Royal Society itself who decided to give it to Darwin. They'd already chosen him to be the, the main man who would go down in history. They see, they make, they make, they give you the, the heroes of history. They create them. There's lots of evidence on this. It's quite astounding. So even, even these scientists are basically frontmen. They come through with a theory that was already written before they were born. 
why is that? Why, why do we have royal backing? You can't call yourself royal anything without a royal charter granted by royalty. But why do we have these secret organizations like the Royal Institute of International Affairs running most of the affairs of the world and advising all countries on policy? Completely outside of democracy. We are run by small secretive groups all working in concert. But there's obviously a capstone somewhere that manages it all. I'll be back with more after the following messages. We're cutting through the matrix, trying to bring some sensibility into this weird and wacky world that we're living in. I was going through an article by Christopher Booker on the 28th of December 2008, and that's from The Telegraph. And I know that Christopher Booker has done some good commentaries on the whole con game of climate change and so on. The climate's always changed. Always. But now it's... You see, again, once again, I was thinking, you know, people today live in their little boxes, their little climate control boxes, and they jump into their cars and have the heater on in the winter, all their air conditioning in the summer, uh, right into their offices, into more climate control, and they don't even notice the great outdoors at all. So it's quite easy to fool them into suddenly things are happening. They should be scared of because... They never take notice, you see. They have no memory. They have no memory that we have seasons. And we've always had seasons. And they go ups and downs. Sometimes it's a few years of warm weather and then a few years of cold weather. The history books they used to give to primary school children went through the different changes, the great changes. Even in the Middle Ages, they didn't build chimneys inside their houses in Europe at one point because it was so hot. And during the Crusades, the early Crusades, it was incredibly hot. It was one of the periods that took almost 200 years to build all the cooking fires outside. And then it changed again, and came the cooling period, and they're back to indoor chimneys. But we're not supposed to know stuff that these teach you at the age of five or six. And because we have people living in their artificial climate-controlled cars and houses and so on, and offices, it's easy to, to fool them, especially when you've reared them to listen to experts who basically tell us in complicated language that we're just too stupid to understand. That's why they use complicated language. It's no different than a stage magician using the white gloves on his hands. You watch one glove and you don't watch the other. And he wears the black outfit and so on. It's all to distract you. And that's what scientists do with their language, is distract you until you can't keep up. Your mind switches onto automatic pilot and you get downloaded. That's how it happens, quite simple. They never show you proof. When they have to give you persuasion, you're, you're talking about theory here. Theory is different from hard empirical evidence of scientific testing. So this article by Christopher Booker on the 28th of December
December says this, the first on May 21st headed, headed climate change. He's talking about the, his best articles over the year. May 21st, he said, he put down climate change threat to alpine ski resorts, reported that entire alpine winter sports industry could soon grind to a halt for lack of snow. The second on December 19th headed, the Alps have the best snow conditions in a generation. Reported that this winter's alpine snowfalls look set to be all records by New Year's Day. See, there's your, there's your weather change. Easily one of the most important stories of 2008 has been all the evidence suggesting that this may be looked back on as the year when there was a turning point in the great worldwide panic over man-made global warming. Just when politicians in Europe and America have been adopting the most costly and damaging measures politicians have ever proposed to combat the supposed menace, the tide has turned in three significant respects. First of all, over the world, temperatures have been dropping in a way which wholly unpredicted or wholly unpredicted by all those computer models which have been used as the main drivers of the scare. Last winter's as temperatures plummeted, many parts of the world had snowfalls on a scale not seen for decades. This winter, with the whole of Canada and half the U.S. under snow, looks likely to be even worse. After several years flatlining, global temperatures have dropped sharply enough to cancel out much of their net rise in the 20th century. Even shriller and more frantic has become the insistence of the warmists, cheered on by their army of media groupies, such as the BBC the last 10 years have been the hottest in history and that the North Pole would soon be ice-free as the poles remain defiantly ice-bound and those polar bears fail to drown. All those hysterical predictions that we are seeing more droughts and hurricanes than ever before have infuriatingly failed to materialize. Even the more cautious scientific acolytes of the official orthodoxy now admit that thanks to natural factors such as ocean currents, Temperatures have failed to rise, as predicted, although they plaintively assure us that this cooling effect is merely masking the underlying warming trend. It's been camouflaged, you see, and that the temperatures will rise worse than ever by the middle of the next decade. Secondly, 2008 was the year when any pretense that there was a scientific consensus in favor of man-made global warming collapsed. At long last, as in the Manhattan Declaration last March, hundreds of proper scientists including many of the world's most eminent climate experts, have been rallying to pour scorn on that consensus, which was only a politically engineered artifact based on the ever more blatantly manipulated data and computer models programmed to produce no more than convenient fictions. Thirdly, as banks collapsed and the global economy plunged into its worst recession for decades, harsh reality at last began to break in on those self-deluding dreams which have for so long possessed almost every politician in the Western world. As we saw in this month's Poznan conference, when 10,000 politicians, officials and environmentalists gathered to plan next year's Son of Kyoto Treaty in Copenhagen, and we're back with more of this after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, 
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about how the, the global warming has kind of cooled a bit and how the economic impact of this depression, I don't call it a recession, it's depression. Mind you, it was planned that way too. And it was planned as well, I'm sure, to coincide with all of this farcical spending on the environment. But continuing with this article, it says, as we saw that this this month in Poznan conference when 10,000 politicians, officials and environmentalists gathered to plan next year's Son of Kyoto Treaty in Copenhagen. Which leads me to another point too. How come the general public uh, can't get in on this? You see? Why don't we get to the, the, the vote, to vote on things after we're given all sides of things? See, we're never given that. All we do is vote for the politicians. Meanwhile, these big groups run the politicians. As they gathered for the son of Kyoto Treaty in Copenhagen, panicking politicians are waking up to the fact that the world can no longer afford all these chaotic schemes for combating climate change with which they were so happy to indulge themselves in more comfortable times. Suddenly it's become rather less appearing that, that we should divert trillions of dollars, pounds and euros into the fantasy that we could reduce emissions of carbon dioxide by 80%. All those grandiose projects for emissions trading Carbon capture, building tens of thousands more useless wind turbines, switching vast areas of farmland from producing food to biofuels are being exposed as no more than enormously damaging and futile gestures costing astronomic sums we no longer possess. As 2009 dawns, it's time that we in Britain, this isn't probably Britain, but it's the same the world over, faced up to the genuine crisis now fast approaching from the fact that Unless we get on very soon with building enough proper power stations to fill our looming energy gap, within a few years our lights will go out and what remains of our economy will judder to a halt. After years of infantile displacement activity, it is high time our politicians, along with those of the EU and President Obama's US, were brought back with a mighty jolt into contact with the real world. Well, you see, the difference for myself in this particular a journalist, is that I have no problem accepting the fact that that is planned this way. Because it's, it all ties in with the reducing of population. It ties in with the figures that many of the big, the big uh, experts, leading experts that are put in front of us all the time, like David Suzuki, talk about reducing them, the population by even down in some cases to 500 million people. Worldwide, See, that's all you would need if you're a pragmatist at the top. If you see people as utilitarian for your purpose in a post-industrial era, you simply eliminate the herd. You don't need all that stock anymore. They're taking up your resources. That's where I, I uh, basically wander off the path. And there's so much evidence that these big philanthropic organizations that run this whole environmentalist industry, they run the greening organizations, they run all the, and they get all their articles published in the media because the big media is controlled as well. It's all part of the governing system. Without the media, they'd lose control over the minds of the public. So you cannot have a free press. In fact, recently, there's an article about Fox News 
do an article on Monsanto and the hassle these reporters went through from their own company after Monsanto leaned on them and they took it to court to try to get their, their, their articles in this documentary they did on Monsanto through. It was to do with this particular drug they're giving the cattle to make them constantly produce milk. It's having detrimental effects, not only in the cattle, but on people too. And it was thrown out of court at the top, and they said that it, it was not illegal for the media to lie to the public. See, the media is under no obligation to tell the truth to the public. And in fact, as I say, it's an arm of government. That's why the, the big captains or barons of the media generally go over and get knighted after serving their term as the big CEO boy. They've been following the agenda very well and done their work very well. So there's no such thing as a free press. I don't think there ever was. Information is power, and for those who run the world and plan the future, you have to make sure that everyone gets the same brainwashing. If the media is essential to do the brainwashing. This farce of global warming and climate change and I call it weather, the weather changing, is not going to stop because they planned it such a long time ago. They published it from the Club of Rome's own book written in the 90s that they, the Club of Rome, a big think tank that creates government policy internationally, they were the same club that pressured governments to put a Department for Environment up that ties in the United Nations, which they've all done. They published that they themselves were the ones who dreamed up the whole scam of global warming when they were looking for something to unite the planet and to get the big agenda through in 1972. Therefore, all, all the factors point to this must be, it's a must-be situation where we believe it, whether the evidence is against it or not. And they will not slow down their, their, their fleecing the public for supposed to stop carbon dioxide emissions. They'll not slow this down as we go through this Great Depression that's coming our way. And it is a Great Depression. Make no mistake about that. It's planned that way. It's planned that way. For years, they threw mortgages at people they knew could not afford it in the U.S. That's how they started it off there. But the worldwide, the big credit card companies were throwing credit cards at people, throwing them at them. You couldn't go to your mailbox without another two or three offering uh, you to join them, regardless of your income. And almost a generation has grown up living on, on credit, on debt, thinking it's all quite natural and normal. Now that they're pulling the plug on it, they don't know how to survive. And the whole economy is based on the fact that the people are using credit cards. The whole economy. Shopping malls are closing down in, across the U.S. Whole shopping malls. It's quite something, but um, it won't stop. As I say, that's, this is the agenda. It's a must-be. They've put too much work into that all these massive organizations and philanthropic organizations to change their path. They must put it all together 
and forces into the new system. And they've already stated in some quarters they can use this economic catastrophe uh, to help create the new economic system. An economic system is a system in which you live to serve. I used to ask the questions years ago about economics and say, well, does the economy exist to serve the people or do the people exist to serve the economy? And we've been told no blunt terms by all of the big boys. We are here to serve the economy. But what happens when there is no economy? Well, then we are the useless eaters. Simple as that. Now we've got a caller from Sweden there. It's Thomas. Are you there, Thomas? Yes. Hello, Alan. Hi. Hello. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, um, I'm, I'm up in the middle of the night here. I couldn't sleep, so I thought I might as well call in, try, yeah. try and see if I could get through. Um, uh, I want to thank you for all you've done for us, and uh, I can't believe all the books and articles that you've read uh, through the years. It's really amazing, and I think you're a godsend. Um, I only listened since uh, the end of October, but I tried to pick up as much as I've been able to. Mm-hmm. Um, I came into all this from a sort of a spiritual search after a personal crisis a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the urge and craving for something more that came with that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm still on that quest, I guess, but uh, I'm no longer sure if I can trust anyone really. I know. Uh, I was rather hooked on that, uh, you know, non-duality, Indian Vedanta stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you get a bit paranoid after a while in this uh, yes, you do. truth you, movement you do or whatever you want to you call see, it. People, when people start waking up, because of the enormity of it all, yeah. they do tend to look around for something. Because just, you deal, you're dealing with a human condition and... Again, you're back to the question, are we just pure blobs of protoplasm, yeah. as they try to tell yeah. us we are? That's uh, or is there another side yeah. to us? And so we, we go shopping for religion, and the big yeah. boys know that, so they make sure that they supply fascinating religions, which will serve them even better with the agenda. So they make sure that, that especially the, the, the religions of the East are readily available and pushed and promoted, because... Those religions tell you not to be involved. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You, you concentrate on your own karma yeah, and so sure on. They sure will pacify you. Yeah. You know. So this was all planned that way too. And uh, you'll find, again, the big um, philanthropic organizations, the big foundations, are heavily, heavily promote the whole New Age concept, especially the blending of the East with West uh, with religion. Yeah. 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 I believe you. Um, uh, but uh, I guess my question is, uh, um, I'm still, you know, personally, I hope for something more than just this yeah. world, just this body. So uh, mm-hmm. um, that there is a soul or a spirit or some sort of source or whatever. Yes. Um, from, I mean, I believe all you said about this, that we live in this uh, sort of from the top directed world. Um, but I heard you speak rather little about this other stuff, so I, I was just wondering your opinion, if there is, in your opinion, something something more, something yeah. lasting. Uh, I, I think it comes down to a, a basic start. There's such a, see, see, what we're told in all the New Age and all the sciences today is that there's no good or evil. Yeah. So that's out the window. The whole concept of good and evil 
were well understood by even the ancients who discussed mm. the, the topic uh, uh, of perneros or evil, as he called it in Greek. Um, and that's been thrown out the window because we live in a, a, a Kabbalistic system today where evil is just a human judgment on the outcomes of events and something always benefits of the outcome. It's just like this, this crash, this worldwide economy. Somebody benefits. There are people who benefit from, from this uh, crash. Big yeah, time. Sure. And so therefore it wasn't evil from their point of view. Mm. And it's promoted all through Hollywood. I watched a documentary on a uh, it was a party of Hollywood producers, and each one was asked a simple question. Now, these guys all did the science fiction and the horror movies, and uh, they were asked if, if they believed in good or evil, and each one gave the Kabbalistic answer. Uh, it's just like a straight line on this side you might think of as evil. This side it might be thought of as good, but really it's a continuous thing. It's just yeah. a human judgment. So that's the philosophy that's been promoted in society. Yeah, they, they seem really into this Kabbalistic stuff. Very much so. Very, very much so. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, you, they, they're, they're creating a society where we're, we're basically nihilistic. If you remove the, the man being a religious creature, we are a religious creature. Yeah. In one form or another, we, we seek yeah. this it something beyond be ourselves. In, yeah. They tend to supply it for us. That's the problem. But it doesn't stop us seeking because we have an intuition that there's something much bigger. The the ones at the top are trying to kill that off. Mm. Either kill it off for for those who become total atheists. And then you you go along with the ways of the world, which they run. Or you can join the new age and you become an evil gazer and you do nothing of any import. Mm. So... You can only find what you think of as spirit on your own personal journey. And when you start to bond with other, others of mankind, and you can put yourself in people's shoes without even meeting them, or you start to find that you have real compassion for yeah. other people across the world who are being slaughtered or bombed Absolutely. or whatever, um, I think that's part of the journey um, mm. of breaking out of the shell of just basic humanity. You're on a different track altogether. You must have empathy for other people, which is a survival mechanism for humanity. Without empathy for others, no one will have empathy for us. And so collectively, as a species, uh, we, we, we must try and retain or regain that empathy we should have for people we'll never meet. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I'll, uh, I'll have to uh, go on and hope for something just something more, I guess. Uh, yeah, if you're looking perhaps down the road, yeah. down the road somewhere, I will. Yeah, I will have this sort of aha experience or whatever. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're truly looking, um, uh, you'll find it that yeah, you will believe change. Believe me, it's pretty much uh, yeah. all of my life right now. So yes, you will change uh, yourself, and, and it comes to you because you, because you're seeking. Uh, that's why I, I don't advise people to join the groups and uh, twist their legs around their neck and stuff no, like that. <laughs> just, just you know, the the thought that there there is something more that would just be enough for me, and then you know. yes, and and remember too, the proof of, the proof of that can only be your proof. Yeah, uh, taking someone else's um, no. experience it means nothing. No. That's belief, but you have to have your own proof, and yeah, sure. and once you have it, um, but uh, have you had that? Personally, I've you... had my own experiences that lead me to conclude that there's something else in this whole game here. Yeah. Um, 
And even in the bad times, you have to remember those experiences that you yourself will have. Things that should never happen yeah. um, uh, come along just at the right time um, when you're yeah. in a, in a yeah. bad way, whatever it is. The things uh, you can't explain, really. You know, that's right. That's rational. when you know there's something else at work yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, I hope you'll keep up the good work, and uh, I'll... I'll try to do my bit. <laughs> you hang in there. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay, thank you. Bye now. And we've got Megan in Pennsylvania. Are you there, Megan? Yes, I am. Hi, Alan. Hi. Um, that's a funny story about the signs in Sudbury. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's my a thing. God. You'd be off the road if you followed them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and there's a, there is a town with less than seven, or about 7,000 people next to me, and in, when you go into the town, like you said, they have a giant billboard with about 20 placards on it of who runs that town. Yes. It's a, it's a riot. It, it is. It's, it's right there. Uh, I, same as Sudbury. There's about 20-odd organizations, maybe yeah. more, uh, squares and compasses, uh, right. all the different groups of female masons. And wheels. And... Yeah. They run the business sector. They run the, the board of commerce. They run the, the, the city council. They run everything. Yeah. Oh, okay, anyway, uh, my question to you tonight is, I'm sorry to get you off the weather, but I remember you saying that when they went to the moon and the flag, the flag was waving, but you said there's no air on the moon, and I would have never thought of that. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I just wondered if you really believe that in July 1969... Yeah. Hold on, I'll tell you. Hold on, and we'll, we'll finish this after this break. Come here. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, talking to Megan from Pennsylvania, who's mentioning something I talked about years ago. Right, Alan. Uh, yeah, would you like to continue on that? There? Yes. My question is, do you really believe that NASA landed on the moon July 1969, or do you believe it was staged in Hollywood? And thank you, and I'll take my answer off the air. Yes. Uh, I, I think they, they, they pulled a big con, to be honest with you at least without landing. Who knows with other ones with no idea. But, um, but I can remember sitting up for it. I was really, really small. And there's a flag waving away there. And I thought, well, and I'd read up on it too because I wanted to know all this stuff. And it was fluttering in a breeze. And I thought, well, there's no atmosphere on the moon. So why is the flag fluttering? And apparently the, the gravity was to be 1-6%. And even the spacesuits would come down to about 6 pounds, which was nothing at all. And they were supposed to take giant kangaroo leaps, uh, kangaroo loop leaps up into the sky and stuff. It didn't happen. I thought this is like slow motion here. These little hops are doing. And then uh, years later, uh, different articles came out uh, questioning exactly what I'd seen. And uh, I think it was Rene who came out with his book. It was called uh, uh, "The NASA Mooned America," uh, a good expose. Uh, using a lot of facts, including the fact that the next one with the, the, the Range Rover, or the Moon Rover, whatever they called it, could not have been gotten out of the particular doors that they had on the capsule. There's a lot of good data and information on that. So, but when you're going to pull a scam uh, like this to fool the world, using, again, specialists and experts to convince you, um, y you tell a really big scam. And it wasn't for years afterwards we even found out, and I wondered at the time too, 
who's following this capsule in when it left? Uh, I think it was a Challenger up uh, orbiting the moon, and um, or, or whatever it was called, I can't remember the exact name. But the thing was getting followed in by a camera. I thought, well, there's another craft here, or it's a cartoon we're watching. It took them years to admit it was a simulation. They didn't admit that when it was all first shown with the, with the first moon landings. So, uh, yeah, big powers were at play to convince the public this really did happen by using uh, high-tech um, video and special effects of their era. Now, remember, that was happening around the same time as Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 came out. Look at the special effects in that. See, they had very advanced computers in those days, which the public knew nothing about. And they certainly did uh, put them to good use. But uh, you look at uh, NASA Moon America by Rene, it's well worth the read, and a lot of good facts uh, in there as well. And just before I go, people should look into this one article that ties in with eugenics and so on, and what Huxley talked about in the 30s, how they'd go into the womb to alter uh, people, basically, and bring them up to the type they want. Well, here's something that came out of Australia, and it's from, it's from the uh, Herald Sun. It's to do with them drugging babies, basically. It says, infant drug shock, December 21st, 2008. 16 Victorian babies, that's in Australia, aged less than a year, were prescribed antidepressants in 2007 to 2008, the highest number in Australia. So now they're, they're, they're giving antipsychotic drugs to babies less than a year old. You know where it's all going, don't you? All these experts and a trained population of mums that don't have any sense left. Well, that's the end of the show coming along. I hear the music. So from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's a good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.